Over here at Commerce Tea, we love folks who are doing things that no one else is. Today, we are joined by John Shanahan, the CMO of Strix, a pioneer in the men's cosmetics industry. We'll be talking about how Strix chose and developed this market opportunity, how they brought their product to market, and how to leverage social media. Let's dig in. Welcome to Commerce Tea, a podcast to help you succeed on Shopify. I'm Rian. And I'm Kelly. Grab a mug and join us as we talk about all things commerce. Hey, Kelly. Let's say I can't write code, but I want to create workflows that carry out repetitive tasks automatically. So that way I can focus on my business and create great customer experiences. What would I use? I recommend Mesa, a no-code workflow builder for any action your customer takes. You can use Mesa's built-in features to extend your connected apps, set up email notifications, receive forms, schedule tasks, delay workflows, and much more. Developers like me also love Mesa because we can lift the hood on any automation to customize for total control. Okay, I'm in. How do I start? Go to getmesa.com. That's G-E-T-M-E-S-A.com. And their team of automation experts will support you on your journey 24-7. Buying online is fun, but you know what isn't? Waiting days for your package to arrive. Once a purchase is made, customers track their shipment four to five times per order. That means they're visiting order tracking pages a lot. Why not use that time with excited customers to drive sales and build your brand? How? With a tool like Malamo. Malamo helps you turn shipping from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel by using branded shipment emails and order tracking pages to drive additional purchases by showing new products, upcoming sales, subscription options, and other engaging content. Plus, it cuts support tickets down by 50% by proactively managing delivery communications with customers. The best part is it really works. Malamo merchants see a 2 to 3% repeat purchase rate from customers while they're waiting for their current order to arrive. Post-purchase experiences are the new frontier in marketing. What are you doing to tap in? Well, hello, hello, John. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having me, ladies. Thanks so much for joining us. So let's kick things off with an easy, potentially easy question. Tell us about yourself. What if it's not an easy question? I know. That's what I said, potentially, (laughs) just in case. I think people that don't want to answer the question find it a hard question. (laughs) I'll put myself in that category. No, no, my name is John. I am the co-founder of Strix, and I also... Uh, prior to that, I spent six years building a YouTube channel in the men's like style and fashion space. And then before that, I was a technology company. I worked for Apple for a few years. And um, then before that, I was getting my diaper changed by my mom. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so day to day. I'm curious uh, what this like, what this age transition is. <laughs> it was all very sudden. All of a sudden, uh, I was a fully formed adult and uh, I was getting mistaken for a 30 year old. Now, it's funny, like now I used to be mistaken. People were like, oh, you're like, you're 29. I was like, no, I'm actually 22. And now they're like, oh, you're like 30. I'm like, yeah, I'm like 30. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I now I now look my age and I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we're here with some cosmetics. So you can really uh, put on your best face anyway. Uh, <laughs> 
No, so my day-to-day, I mostly spend time making a fool out of myself on TikTok for Strix. We are a men's cosmetics brand. So we're, like you say, we're doing things that aren't really done uh, out in the market, but we're trying to really lead, um, you know, just by unique, differentiated product and doing it in a really cool way. I think this is really, really great. Like it kind of just busts down Uh, like that toxic masculinity like i'm not gonna wear makeup i don't wash my face (laughs) like i use a (laughs) i use a irish spring bar on my face you know that kind of vibe and you're you're building your brand that's opposite of that yeah i think we're we're very intentional about that there's a fine line between toxic masculinity and fragile masculinity and like we're between those two um you know there there is a big move in the industry to go gender neutral but we like we so strongly know how much of a stigma there is around men using these products. Like we have to first get to a point where they're acceptable before we can go beyond the gendered roles. And it's like every category, deodorant, razors, shampoo, soaps, like they all have a men's variant. We just, there just hasn't been one for cosmetics. And so that's, that's our premise. I love that. I I think it's smart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What was the the catalyst that really started the company? Uh, it was my co-founder, his wedding day. He had a pimple and it ended up being in every wedding photo and it was a whole thing. Oh. But that experience and, and actually what's crazy is separately, we weren't getting we weren't getting married on my wedding day. I'll never forget going to bed, hoping I didn't have a breakout the next morning. I did. And like I had actually forgotten about that because I photoshopped all my own photos so that I wouldn't be in there. And it's like every guy has experience, whether it's their wedding day or now it's a Zoom call or a first date or a big meeting. Like every guy has the experience where they want to have clear and perfect skin, but there was not a go-to easy solution for guys out there. So that was you know his catalyst to start it. I joined later on as a co-founder because of my background in, in YouTube and really a, a huge component of what we have to do is education and normalization. And so that's really where my like skill set could really fit in. And so now it's every product we're building now is at that intersection of like skincare, but then a cosmetic element to it to make it really approachable. I'm, I'm just, I'm actually like a a really, really big fan of this. I used to be a makeup artist back in the olden days of my life (laughs) and, and, but we would have men come in and it would, uh, it would always kind of be this like, Hey, I, I need this thing. It was like that really taboo moment. And so I just, I, I'm such a big fan that you're saying this shouldn't be taboo. It's okay to want to look your best. It doesn't matter what gender you are and there's a product for you. I, I just, I'm really, I'm really amped up on that. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things like we have Tom Sandoval from Vanderpump Rules uh, joined as a, as a partner. And that was his thing is when he started modeling in the nineties, he would go to the makeup artist and they're like, we don't, we're not going to do anything for you. Like you do your own makeup. And so that was when he started to use it. And, um, you know, a, a big part of what we have to do is education. But when we talk about Omnichannel, the, the reason like we're in CVS stores, like the reason we mm. did that is to make the, to show that these products, like we literally sit in the shelf next to Harry's razors. And it's like to show that these products can be used alongside other everyday products and, and normalizing and, and making it more accessible is, is a, one of our you know key components of the brand. And so whatever, whichever one of those you want to hit on first, yeah, we can dig in any of them. I mean, I'm pretty pumped up that you're in CVS next to Harry's. Can you talk to us a bit about going omni-channel and, and what that looks like? Yeah. So um, we always knew we would have to, you know, we wanted to be in retail and initially, so like our concealer tool, our hero product was $29 and our premise of retail was going to be Nordstrom, Sephora, Blue Mercury. 
But like the more that you dig into those channels, the the more you see that guys don't shop those channels. Guys aren't mm-hmm. going to Nordstrom to especially to look for skincare, but you know, guys are going there for those or you know, say it for Alta or Sephora. And so we did a pilot with CVS and we, you know, we tested in their stores in Rhode Island and um, we were outselling every other category that we tested with. And so there were, that was enough signal for them to say, okay, you know, full store rollout. And it was also important for us in the category that we sit in because we don't want to be in women's cosmetics. This guy's definitely aren't shopping there. But for us to be in the shave aisle was like the critical way of positioning it um, so that, you know, we can show that these products are normalized. And so we did a 2000 store rollout and um, we did it alongside two other men's brands. And it's been really reassuring to see that, you know, we're on a shelf with a, with a hair care brand and we're selling on pace, if not beating them each week in sales. So like we're showing that you can put a men's concealer on a shelf that the two care the products they carry, they carry our concealer tool in the three shades and the, the gel cleanser, like our face wash. And um, you know, we're our, our concealer tool is selling as well as a shampoo, which is really cool to see. I, I think the idea of getting into retail can be just kind of terrifying for a lot of brands when they're just trying to step into that first, like they're, they're considering getting into retail, but it can be an overwhelming process. What kind of advice might you have to a brand who is looking to make that step? It is definitely daunting. Like I'll, I'll never forget when that first like PO came in and we were like, oh, we have to fulfill this now. And like, <laughs> there's even the steps in the back end right? Of your EDI system and compliance. And like, it becomes a full-time job to, to manage a retailer. Um, you know, whether it's, whether you're doing 50 doors at, at, at Nordstrom or you're doing, you know, a couple thousand doors at a major retailer, like there's compliance and there's, you have the right barcodes. You have to have GS1 barcodes, not, you know, like the cheap ones that you can get online and that sort of thing. And so, um, just having the expectation that it's going to be work, but then also like being able to communicate to a retailer is going to tell them where you sit in the category. Like we were very clear to CVS. We were like, we are a, a grooming essential. We are a face, you know, product, not, you know, X, Y, Z other product. And, and being able to communicate that I think is, is important as well. And for them, it's who, what are the customers? What are you bringing to the table for them? Right. It's like the reason that CVS brought in a cool upstart men's cosmetics brand is because we have a customer that, they might not be hitting and we're going to end up driving store traffic because guys are looking for our products. Hey, Rian, what can I do to help my support team be more efficient? I recommend Gorgeous. Gorgeous combines all your communications channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform that gives you an organized view of all help requests. This saves your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. Sounds great. What else can it do? With Gorgeous, you can pre-write and save responses to your most frequently asked questions. You even have access to the customer's order information, so you can personalize responses with things like an order or tracking number. This then frees up your time so your support team can focus on complex questions. This sounds like a great way to also increase sales and brand loyalty. Where can I learn more? To request a demo, visit commercet.com forward slash gorgeous. That's commercet.com slash G-O-R-G-I-A-S. When you were getting into CVS, I imagine that was rapid scale very quickly. Is that correct? Uh, yes. How did you do that? Well, it is very important to have great relationships with your manufacturers because we, at the time, like this was also, uh, you know, we made the decision to go forward with CVS in February of 2020. 
And so we we're like, oh, it's going to be great. What a big year. And then COVID hit. And <laughs> oh, no. We actually, I'll never forget, like we wrote the check for the inventory for CVS, like on March 20th, like right as everything was just completely insane. And part of that was we have a, a great like finance, uh, all that stuff is kind of set. And then the manufacturers were like, all right, cool. Uh, I think it slowed down a little bit because they had pivoted to hand sanitizer, but it was like, we knew the date we were going to start hitting stores. So like working backwards from there. So we had like enough inventory on hand to do I can't remember. It was like 75% of the rollout that we could just ship to CVS. But then we also redesigned our boxes for retail. And so that, that next PO that we put in, in March of last year, we were like, all right, we need need a ton of units, but then also we're going to redesign the boxes because we needed to have them sit on shelf properly. Like our Mm. original packaging was very like signature D to C high end, really cool unboxing experience, but that doesn't translate to all the shelf. And so we also rapidly changed our packaging so that would, like, cause, uh, CVS thing is they wanted to stand up on shelf vertically. So we could, we actually couldn't, like, if you see our packaging, there's a big like gap in it. We couldn't just make it the size of the concealer tool. We had to put it like a gap so it could stand in there. And so I think all of that just comes in the ability for a smaller brand to be nimble, but then also to, to be able to scale with your manufacturer. Like you now our manufacturers are waiting for us to get off of MOQs and we're like, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. So I have a slightly unrelated question, but as a developer, I love to see the tech stack of people's websites, what they're using on your website. What do you, what do you think like in terms of like the apps and the the tools that you're currently using, what do you think have, have made the biggest impact on your online sales? You know, the, the online sales, like we actually just redid our entire website like last week it launched. And so you're seeing a very it's fresh beautiful, website now. by the way. Yeah. Gorge. Thank you. That was, um, that was a lot of work to, to get that up and, and going. <laughs> I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. There's a lot of stuff that just kind of like runs and fires in the background. The one that I think I end up engaging with the most though are is the post purchase survey. So at the end, it'll say, you know, we can ask a question at the end. And then that is, is what is directly informing our uh, product development roadmap, the, you know, the way that we position our brand and really understand our customers. And then, um, cause that'll also inform, you know, when we do customer interviews and we, we talk to guys on the phone, that's those questions. Well then you'll know, we either reaffirm those or, or ask questions around it and dig a little bit more in. And so, um, you know, everything's built on Shopify and your, your good old D2C brand. But, you know, the first purchase surveys, I think, have been huge for us just to understand our customer better because, like, our iTool that we launched came directly out of so much customer feedback and that ended up, it became our, our best-selling product. And so uh, anything that helps us get closer to the customer. For that post-purchase survey, did you, I assume you probably have been testing different questions over time to see what generates the not only the, more responses, but also actually useful responses. So as you've iterated over these questions, I guess, I guess I can ask, you know, what are you asking now that seems to have the best impact? Uh, Honestly, we just switch it out almost every thousand responses for whatever question we might have internally. Like we have a list and we'll say like, all right, this is the next one. So for a while we were trying to figure out how many guys had ever purchased a cosmetic or what other brands are guys shopping. Mm. And then uh, recently when we had a, a meeting with a major retailer, we were like, all right, let's ask a question of our customers to figure out if they're actually shopping some of these stores. And we were able to go to them and say, look, 46% of our customers are already shopping your store. And so we already have like a really good crossover. And then also, you know, here's the guys that we could also bring in. And so it's not as much that we're asking every customer the same thing, but it's constantly reiterating to say like, all right, what other brands are out there? 
you know, we also just, we ask like lifestyle questions. Like the thing that we know now after asking this multiple times is like our guy is the guy that cares about his appearance. They usually go to the gym. They usually go outside and they hike. They may have a skincare routine. This, you know, we are, what we do know is out of all the testing, 70% of our customers have never purchased a cosmetic before. So like, that's the one statistic we always come back to, to show that we're just growing a market essentially. But then like, okay, then what are the next, you know, the psychographics behind the guys that we're actually converting, because then that ends up informing the ads that we run or the way that we message and position it. And so it's just constantly trying to figure out, you know, who's buying and what are they buying for? That's really cool because that statistic in particular, because you're tapping into a new market that's never done anything like this before. And you're having this opportunity to build trust in a way that no other company has actually tried to build trust with these people. I love that. Yeah. And I, I, I think I said this in a TikTok recently is like, we win if more guys wear a cosmetic product. It doesn't have to be ours, but like we win as a brand if just more guys start to wash their face, put a SPF moisturizer on and maybe put on a concealer. It's like, that is our, that is our broader mission. And then we're also just building the best products within that category at an accessible price. I, I have to tell you, I sent your line to my husband and he said, uh, and this is a direct quote. I could F with a brow gel, to be honest, my brows need some control. And <laughs> I just, I just thought that you would think that was funny, but also, uh, it's, a, it's about that education piece and just putting it out there, right? Which is exactly what you do on TikTok and you do it on your website really, really well. And a lot of people, in my opinion, struggle getting this piece, right? They've got a good product in theory, it works but they struggle in making it make sense to the consumer. So can you walk us through your TikTok education strategy, that, that whole thing? Yeah, well, it's great to hear about the brow gel. The brow gel we launched last week too. It was like the website was two weeks ago. Last week was a brow gel. And part of that is also to make like Strix more accessible because it's, it's pretty easy like for your husband to grasp what an eyebrow gel is or an eye tool. Whereas the tinted moisturizer is a way higher level of education mm -hmm. and like we're really have to get guys, you know, familiarized with that. And the concealer, the concealer tool is a little bit easier. It's like, oh, you got a pimple, you got razor burn, like cover them up. And so that, that then informs, you know, everything we're talking about. But as far as the like content strategy, when I started at Tricks, my background was in YouTube. So my thing was like, all right, I'm going to come in, I'm going to build out a YouTube channel. We're going to build the community. I also take a ton of um, inspiration from Eric at Beard Brand. He's a good, he's a good friend. And you know, he's built a community over there. And when I started to post more, like it's really hard to grow on YouTube now. Like it was hard when I joined in 2015. It's, it's, it's very hard now. And I had a, I had lunch with a friend who was describing TikTok to me at the time, because in, in November of 19, I was like, okay, it's for teenagers dancing, which I think is still, it's still pretty <laughs> prevalent to be the thought of it. But he described it to me the way they described it as an, a powerful editing platform um, with, you know, like a music base. And, but he, the, the thing he hit on was it's like a lot like Vine. When Vine shut down, I had tens of thousands of followers. And so I loved that platform. And that was before YouTube or anything else. The way that it's now panned out is YouTube is like our content library. All the videos on that channel are directly from customer questions. So there's an FAQ series, like a tutorial series. We have an education flow in there. So it's like, if you've never used a concealer before, here's, you know, here's how you use it. So that's always referenceable. And then it helps with search. And it's just like, it's always there. Instagram has become 
as it should, it's the museum, right? It's like our products look really nice in there. We'll put customers up there as we get things. And I think everybody's just expected to have an Instagram account. We also get a lot of DMs from guys. Like we don't get as many comments publicly, I think because of the taboo nature of what we're doing. So we get a lot of DMs from guys and they'll send us a picture and they're like, what's my shade? Or you know, they'll send us a picture with a question about a skin issue. And so that's become more of like a private channel, even more so than email, I think. And then TikTok is this like top of funnel awareness, uh, just like totally loud section where we can do tutorials, we can do things there, but that's just become the way that we're reaching a whole different audience because the way that people engage with TikTok is so different than Instagram and YouTube that makes it such a unique platform and and also very exciting. So like I posted, you can you can scroll all the way back. My very first post on TikTok, I was like showing how to cover up razor burn. I didn't even know how to use the app, that video is like half finished. It is so bad. But I remember I posted that video and within three hours, it had 100,000 views. And I was like, there's something here. And so then I just, you know, it's been constant iteration of like figuring out what is working, what doesn't, the messaging. And so like TikTok has now become the platform where we'll like test messaging, test uh, communication and test different things. And then that will permeate all the other channels. Yeah, I mean, I see you've got one video that has 1.2 million views. And it's interesting, right? This is the thing about TikTok I don't understand. And maybe you can help help us understand because we don't get TikTok. Right, Kelly? I would say. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm more of a uh, consumer of TikTok than a yeah. creator. Yeah, I'm an appreciator of TikTok. But so your pimples video that has 1.2 million viewers versus how do you know what's going to stick? Or is it just, tr- tr- you, you just don't? That's the magic slot machine of TikTok is like, I know what videos have performed well in the past. I will do those videos again and they will perform well again. I'll try something new. That'll that'll hit too. Like um, I just did one on beards. The other video with a million views was I did one on beards. And I just showed like how to trim your beard and this beard, your neckline and your, their cheek line and that sort of thing. And I like mentioned the concealer in that video and like that one blew up and you never really know what's going to hit. And I actually, like I have like a new thesis on, because I I don't know if you also saw it, but Patrick from Supply, I was on his case for months to join TikTok. I was like, come on, like (laughs) shave, shave talk is going to be great for you. You got to do it. And then within like a month now, he's like 200,000 followers and he's had (laughs) like 30 million organic views or something, like some crazy number. Like he, he did it. He nailed it. It's just been really cool to see people like iterate on the platform. But I guess the thing to know about TikTok is, Unlike any other platform, a creator has the ability to get so much reach. You just can't on any other platform. And so the metric that is most, I would say, notable on TikTok is the number of likes. Followers mean virtually nothing. Like I have 50,000 followers, 58,000 followers on our account. Some of my most recent videos are getting five and 6,000 views, but I can post a video and get a million views or a person with zero followers can post and get 10 million views like Patrick's. One of Patrick's first videos, I think, did 3 million views and he had literally zero followers. And so that's the power of the platform. And uh, like the ability just to reach people is so much different than Instagram. Like you're never going to get those numbers on Instagram. Reels are pretty close. Reels, um, we've been repurposing a lot of our stuff from TikTok to Reels and YouTube shorts. And like you'll get some success there, but there's still just no engagement like you get on TikTok. On that same not, like line for the engagement and attribution in particular, how, you know, if 
for these videos that are, you know, people are highly engaged in, in, in everything, how does that actually convert into sales? Like, are, how easy is it, is it to track that attribution from TikTok over to your store? We're testing that a lot. So we have like a custom landing page from TikTok right now, which we didn't at first, but like we can directly see a correlation. Like if I have a month where I do five or six million views, you can see like our, our traffic is just like through the roof and like people are definitely finding things that way, especially if you're talking about it in the right way. Like I'll come across brands that um, like they'll do educational content, but they don't have a call to action. And then you, I guess you're not always seeing that translate, but we can, yeah, we can see direct correlations with traffic and sales and on videos where they'll I'll have a hit. So like some of the videos that'll do a million views within a day or two, it's like traffic will just be through the roof. And then we're tracking with the TikTok code. So that's, getting uses. And then we're also just, you know, custom landing pages for whether it's the new product launch or something else, we're always trying to track um, on there. But I wouldn't be spending so much of my day on TikTok if it, if it wasn't like actually panning out. So I have what is probably just a ridiculous question. It's not a how do you TikTok question, but it's also kind of a how do you TikTok question. And what I mean by that is, is are you using and mate, this is this. I feel like this is such an elementary question. So I apologize. Are you using the the tools that are native to TikTok to do your video editing, or do you do it off of TikTok and bring it on? I think if I was more organized, I would do it off of the app. But I literally shoot everything with my front facing camera, and there's something wrong with my phone. If I record without the microphone, it's very hollow. So I use the wired Apple like lightning headphone thing, which is why you see that in a lot of videos. And a ton of creators do like, that's what's interesting too, as you know, from like consuming the platform is like, there's, there's this kind of language and vibe to TikTok, which is what I tell a lot of brands. Like if you want to succeed on TikTok, you have to speak the language of TikTok. You have to like speak to the camera a certain way. There's like a very comfortable feeling on TikTok. You got to use captions, usually help. But just like the fact that you'll see, I love, what's her name? Tinks. Um, she uses like the tiny microphone. She'll hold it up to her mouth. And it's like, that's just normal. Like TikTok is just, it's very run and gun, very amateur, but that's what makes it so interesting versus like the bar on YouTube for having like a good looking video is very high now because yes. it's such a mature platform. Whereas TikTok, it's like make whatever you want, post it. Everybody has, uh, you know, an equal chance of succeeding. And there's, I've seen people say like, oh, you got to have more refined videos now. And it's like, that is not the case. Like these video, the videos today look the same way they did as when I joined the platform, you know, 18 months ago. I feel like I've seen similar styled videos from when I first joined, like early on, you know, February, 2020 or so. So yeah, I, I would, I'd agree there. And, you know, I feel it, it makes it more accessible for new brands The lower the barrier to entry is so much lower for brands to just jump in and try something on TikTok. If it doesn't pan out, but well, you don't have to like invest so much, so much of your time and resources into just giving it a shot. Yeah, I think there, I mean, there's, there's, Patrick has done this, he brought in external video and like, it looks really beautiful, but I think the higher production quality on a TikTok, it, it never really translates or correlates with success. It's like one of my, I, I said it was a stupid video. I was like in a Lowe's and I talked about a monkey wrench and that video did like half a million views. I shot it, <laughs> like I shot it in 12 seconds in the aisle of Lowe's. Meanwhile, I'll sit here and like edit together like shots from, I like went into an Ulta Beauty and I was like showing that and like that video didn't go anywhere. And so it's like, it's almost like the lower effort, lower thought, the better the video will do. I have one more TikTok question. And again, it's <laughs> sort of like a how to TikTok thing. We also have vested interest in this. Sorry, Kelly, because we're trying to make a TikTok and we uh, have the account name reserved. So we're that's like- as far as we've gotten. Yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah. Sorry, Kelly, over to you. <laughs> 
the music component, because I know it's an important piece for TikTok in particular. How do you select what music? I would be willing to say the music selection is more important to virality than any other single component of the TikTok besides like you know, whoever's on camera. Um, like hashtags, they get you somewhere, but not really. But it's the music that ends up propelling. And like, that's what I've been testing a lot now is like, I think in the last, let's say the last five videos I posted, like two of them, I'm doing no hashtags, just music. Two of them, I'm doing hashtags and music. The other one, you know, just hashtags, no music. Like I'm constantly trying to figure out, you know, quantify it for myself too. The thing is, is a lot of these sounds, um, and like you only get this from consuming a lot of TikTok, is a lot of these sounds will have some sort of theme associated with it. And so the one that's really big now is the one where people are like flaring out their butts, right? And it's like, boom, choo, boom, choo, boom. And so like that has a certain video to it. But then there's that monkey sound, you know, the monkey sound where it's like, and it's like, those are usually in the background of some kind of explanation video. And so like the, the sounds will end up having themes or trends to them. And that's what you want to slot your own stuff into. Right. And so like for me, uh, the beard one, I think I might, I might've used the monkey sound. No, no, no. I used a different sound that usually goes with an explainer. And um, you basically just put the sound down at like two or 3% behind it. So it's somewhat of a background soundtrack, but that's enough of a signal for TikTok to show like, all right, people who watch this video with the sound liked it. And then that, that's how you end up getting slotted better in the for you page. Mm, okay. In other words, I needed to spend a lot more time on TikTok studying the music. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, you, you, you pick up on it pretty, pretty quickly, but yeah, it is really just about like, you know, figuring out what is going on in the platform. It all moves really fast too. Like that sound with the butt flaring thing, I heard that and I was like, this seems like it's going to go somewhere. I didn't do a video. And then three days later, I was like, well, I missed it. Like, whatever. I'll wait for the next one. The nice thing though, is like, there's always next ones, right? There's like, always next ones. Yeah. It just keeps happening. The platform moves fast. There's, and and I think what's great about it is just how much creativity is always happening on the platform. And then there's also like, they cycle it. They're really good about curating, um, you know, themes and trends and hashtags. And so it's like the best time to start TikTok was yesterday, but the next best time is now because it's only going to continue. I mean, it, it's just growing at this point. It's it's really fascinating. I think we all needed to hear that. So our listeners needed to hear that. We needed to hear that because it, you can still start now. Whereas I do think there are some markets that, well, like, like you mentioned, right? YouTube is everyone's camera's professional now, if you're going to make it. Everyone has the, the fancy stuff. Whereas this feels like that, that, barrier of entry is just there and and all of our listeners and our merchants will will be able to do something with that. But would you say perfection is the enemy of progress, right? And so and and this is me kind of thinking out loud, but I know before I post things I'm always kind of obsessed with making sure it's perfect. Would you say not to do that on TikTok? I, like absolutely categorically not to do that on TikTok. I would say do it because if you have a typo in your caption, someone's going to comment on it. And the other person's <laughs> going to call them an idiot for commenting on the <laughs> typo. And then the algorithm's going to say, there's engagement here. We should boost oh. this video. And it's, and cause I was just, I was just talking to another uh, brand the other day. And I said, it's like, when you create these two, it's like you always have to leave out a detail that someone's going to say like, dummy, you should have said this or call you out on something because that's what ends up getting engagement. So whether you're explicitly saying, I don't think that saying, comment on this is going to drive a lot of comments. But if you make a mistake or if you drop the camera, like TikTok loves that kind of stuff. And so 
it's I would say I would say posted faster than ever. And and what I think about too is like when I joined YouTube in 2015 for my channel, I thought I was I was late. I was like, oh, this is I'm so late. This is never going to work. And now like I'm an elder statesman of my niche of of like men's style and grooming people because I've been doing it for so long at this point. And so. Yeah, like I thought, you know, I was like, oh, you know, TikTok is interesting in November 2019. And now it's like same thing where, you know, I'm glad I started when I did. But like right now, I've 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 just watched accounts in the past few months go from, you know, zero to a half million. Patrick Patrick's a great example. He started in maybe late February, early March, and it's like you're the time the time is now. It's it's great. I'm excited. We're gonna make a TikTok today. You watch. Yep. I want to see it. You got to follow me so I can, (laughs) listen, I message, I I constantly am looking for great examples of like brands that are doing cool things on TikTok and I'll like message it to a a few people. So I'll, um, anybody, anybody that follows me out, you got to send me a message. I can't, I can't keep trying. No, we're going to wait until you discover us on the For You page. That's that's how it works. (laughs) That happens too. It's really cool. Yeah. (laughs) So as things start opening up, and as we see a shift now towards uh, IRL moments or and not right now, like not today, but, you know, three, six, nine months. What are your predictions for the future of commerce? Well, I mean, it's, it's going to continue to go online. And I think what I can't tell about subscriptions. So I really built a lot of my channel, my YouTube channel on the men's like style subscriptions at the time. And then I got fatigued on either too many subscriptions or too much stuff. And so I think subscriptions will be important, but there's got to be a smarter element of the subscription. And I've, I've seen a lot of interesting things around there. Like Harry's does this really well, where I think I pay Harry's like five bucks every month, but then some months I'll throw in extra products and it'll be you know 20 this month, but I'm still a Harry's subscriber. And so I think subscriptions will continue to slowly grow depending on the product category, especially for consumables. I think, um, I think we're all fans of Olipop. I think I just got their orange their orange creamsicle gets here tomorrow. Oh, I'm so jealous. I haven't ordered yet. Yeah, I was on I was on the early texts there. Shout out oh. to uh Eli Weiss and, and those guys. But then I think there is, I mean, there's there's just a desire to get back and see physical things. Like I was never much of a in-store shopper because I had done so much on e-com, but I do want to have experiences in the stores. And it's like that's the reason that we are gonna like Pre-COVID, we, you know, we had a bunch of leads into like barbershops that we wanted to get placement in. And then we just kind of let that all kind of slow down because barbershops were just trying to stay open, let alone add to their assortment. It's like as people get back out in the world, I, I agree with uh, like Web, Web's premonitions of the roaring 20s and everything. And it's like you're going to want to be where the customers are at and people are going to want to get into stores, whether that is, um, you know, like a Soho style lots of brands in one place, like giving the opportunity to have D2C experiences over there or, um, you know, some kind of reimagining of the department store. I've, I've followed, you know, those, I've worked with some of those retailers in my old job and I find that really fascinating. And so it's like retail will continue to be important, but just online, amazing customer experiences are still going to, you know, that's going to be the most critical thing you can do as a, as a smaller brand. I'm really excited to see what happens. I feel like we're, we're definitely at a, a pivot point here. And we've had this, uh, COVID has provided an opportunity to reimagine how we're approaching, you know, retail in particular. So I'm just, I'm really excited to see what happens. Yeah. And I think it's exciting for other, you know, upstart brands is that retailers are going to want to get 
customers in. And so if it's a really cool brand that's bringing something new to the table, that's going to be their opportunity to get that bigger exposure or bigger attention if you can handle the, the big account. So as we wrap up today, we do want to ask you a couple more questions. What has been your biggest learning lesson period in business, like ever? Oh, that I actually don't know anything and neither does anybody else. <laughs> it's so true. Nobody else knows what's going on. We're all just making it up. I actually just sent the, um, there's that Steve Jobs video where he, he, he's explaining the secrets of life. And he said, like, as soon as you find out, you can poke the world and something else happens over here and it wasn't built by anybody smarter than you, then that's when you're like really going to start to have some excitement and success and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, it's like I... When I was at my previous tech startup, I remember thinking like, oh, these guys actually don't know what's going on, but they built a cool company. Like I can go be a YouTuber and, and like, it's all going to work out. And like, that's what gave me the comp. Like I quit my full-time job to be a YouTuber for a year. And like, that was really cool. And so, yeah, the biggest learning is just that not only do I not know anything and nobody else does, it's just a matter of, you know, who can, who can figure it out first. Which leads me to my next question. What is one piece of advice you'd give to new merchants? New merchants is just continually talk to customers. And like that is, that's not only the beginning of your company and like the core of what you're building, but also the community. Like we have a, we have a WhatsApp group with like 60 guys of our customers. And like that has become so much inspiration around what we're building, what we're doing. Uh, you know, they'll, we'll hype them up. They'll hype us up. And there's always this conversation kind of like the discord. It's like that, that is really important. But then also for new merchants, is like what I found so valuable building my YouTube channel was just talking to other guys building YouTube channels because they were all really nice. Like it's shocking how cordial it, it's all been. And like that's the way that we connected too is in the Discord is like just surround yourself with other people building cool shit and it's going to make the days better because it's really hard to relate to people that aren't doing that in your life. Um, and to be surrounded by others that are just pushing forward has just been uh, really powerful. Customers and network. So... Very last question. Where can we find you on the internet? Well, you can find me shirtless on my TikTok. Uh, that's <laughs> Strix underscore official. Um, if, you know, Strix.com has links to everything. I'm trying, I, I've been working now with more influencers to like get other guys on our page to make it not so much about me. Like that's ultimately the goal is to really diversify the, the guys, the body types, skin tones, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, it, I mean, if you Google me, I just pushed out the other guy that has my name from my first page of Google results. Yes. So that's been my big win. Yeah. That's uh, so yeah, as long as if you message me on LinkedIn, don't tell me you're going to grow my six figure business to nine figures or anything. <laughs> I'll connect you on you there. And then uh, on YouTube, my number one, my number one video is me reviewing underwear. So it's like, <laughs> you can find anything you want about me on the internet. Uh, so yeah, it's a, YouTube, YouTube, the Cavalier, Strix.com. We're always working on new stuff. So very exciting. Awesome. John, thank you so, so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, really, really enjoyed talking with you and really appreciate your insights. Yeah, this was awesome. We really, this was, this was great. This was great. I'm going to find you on TikTok. I, I hope to see some things. Okay. Okay. I posted a video or I posted a TikTok like last week and somebody commented on it. This is a total side note saying that I, I was basically like my camera setup because I have a nice camera setup. And they said, I don't need a particular piece of it anymore. And I knew I didn't need it anymore, but I included it in there anyway. And somebody commented saying I didn't need it. And I replied to the comment, 
And then I suddenly got started getting more likes on my video. But this is like a week later. I don't know how there that works for the algorithm. Engage. Pretty cool. Love it. <laughs> so yeah, they yeah. stay up to ninety days for a video. We'll push it out. Sweet. There's still hope. Then wonderful. <laughs> I can't wait. We're making conversy videos. Not sure about what yet. Just it's just us talking into microphones. It's good. I mean, what the videos. Are. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thanks again to our sponsors for supporting this episode. We have a YouTube channel. Visit it at youtube.com slash commerce tea. If you like our podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make us really happy. You can subscribe to Commerce Tea on your favorite podcasting service. We post new episodes every Wednesday. So grab your mug and join us then. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>